now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Mark Larson, thank you and welcome Southern California to yet another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am your underfished host, Hop Along, John Cassidy, and it is a pleasure to welcome you tonight and have you hang with us. I think we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. We're going to get going with it real quick, but first of all, let me please introduce to you the co-host for Rod and Reel Radio. First, this gentleman is the voice of 1-800-BASS BOAT. He's a darn good uh, saltwater and freshwater fisherman in his own right. Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, how you doing? So far, so good. You know, I've got all kinds of things, getting one boat ready for Crowley. uh, That comes up the first week of June and trying to get everything kind of squared away for uh, about the mid-June to go to Alaska, so I've got plenty on my table. Oh, I can imagine it. Hey, we'll talk about that in a little bit, and I know you've got a short little report that we're going to give uh, on what's happening in the eastern Sierras later on, yep. so I'm looking forward to hearing that. Hey, but here is a person that's up in this eastern Sierras right now. She's in Bishop. She is the co-host of Ron Real Radio. She is the national sales manager for Iserline and represents many other fine products in the fishing industry. And she is also one heck of a sportsman, both fishing and hunting in her own right. Miss Wendy Tushahara. Wendy, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, and you know what? I haven't been able to fish during the opener, but I am having a great time spending it with fifteen of my family members up here in Lone Pine and in Bishop. It's it's just amazing and the weather is awesome. So no kidding, yeah, perfect weather up there. Oh man. Well Wendy, let's get to what you're doing up there in just a minute, but I want to uh, bring on our first guest because he's waiting patiently to give us a report on what's happened the first week of the Yellowtail Derby. Here's the director of the Derby himself, Mr. John Campbell. And, John, how's it going, sir? It's going great. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Stan and Wendy. Uh, listen, uh, hey, John. We, had a, we had a great first day. Oh, my goodness. Um, Katarina Eckert caught four yellowtail on a, on a mission bell. Or just one was only 14 of two, but... Uh, but it got her on the board. Did. She got her on the board, and, and I just received in the last 30 minutes wave slip from Tony Liddell, who happened to be out on the San Diego on a three-quarter day. So the, the 
the Mission Bell was at the at Coronado's, and the San Diego three quarter day was at the Coronado's. The the, the 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 San Diego came in with um, what they have thirty yellowtail and four bluefin tuna. Wow! Nice. Tony Liddell was on the San Diego. He caught a hundred and five pound bluefin tuna. Nice. Nice. Wow. So, so uh, it looks like he's a he's the winner for the largest fish on on the, on the first day. I wow. thought it was going to be Katarina, but he had, the guy had uh, 24 hours to get his slip in, and he did. So. Well, uh, no, it's going to be an awesome year, John. And oh my goodness, you're going to have big, big, a, a lot of weigh-ins, a lot of fish to weigh in, and you, you're going to have a huge success with your yellow tail derby. Well, John, well, thank uh, you. Katarina for uh, bringing in the first yellowtail and the heaviest yellowtail on the first weekend, uh, uh, there's a little bonus prize for the, her, is there not? Yes. It, it is a $50 gift certificate from the Valley High. All so right. nice. Yeah. That's Dinner. awesome. She's going to get that. And there's a, there'll be other prize for the yellowfin or the bluefin well, tuna, basically. So... Uh, but I know John and you and uh, CL went out fishing yesterday and yeah, we, uh, bounced around a lot. Yeah, we uh, we bounced around. We were out there Saturday. It was still kind of rough. It was uh, beginning to die down a little bit. We went out to La Jolla, and we had one yellowtail opportunity uh, in the time we were fishing. We had one hooked up, and one of the seals that uh, happened to frequent oh, no. uh, uh, La Jolla decided to deprive us of the opportunity to bring in a yellowtail, but we were metering them there. They, they're they in deeper water. We just couldn't get them to bite. I don't know if it was the high pressure or whatever it was. The water's a little dirty out there, but ladies and gentlemen, they are out there. They're in deeper water. We metered them in anywhere from 80 to 100 feet of water off La Jolla, so uh, get out there and get them because, John, as Wendy said, I think this is going to be a banner year for the Yellowtail Derby. And, and John, even though we had the the kickoff dinner last Wednesday, and I've got to tell you, Katarina came up to me, gave me a great big hug, hugged and whispered in my ear, no second place for me this year. I'm going to take it all. And a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, people hey, can still enter the event. And how, they go, how do they go about doing that, John? Well, they can enter online at yellowtailderby.com. That's the, that's the best way. Um, or they can go to one of the tackle shops, and there's a lot of entry forms at the tackle shops as well. Now, let me tell you, that, that bluefin tuna, the guy was fishing for yellowtail with one of those Shimano flat balls. Oh, my gosh. And, and he caught it on 50-pound test. Now, that is a world record. I just talked to Ryan Bostian, the captain, and informed him that that's a bacon. You can catch it for thirty pound and a hundred pound bluefin. Thirty is pound, thirty pound test and fifty pound test are vacant. Oh my gosh! <laughs> for so, vacant for what? For male, female? What no, category? That's 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 male. Okay. Yeah, you know, the female. Uh, there's a whole bunch of gals. There's a gal here in San Diego that's got a whole bunch of bluefin tuna. Four. She's got four oh, world yeah. records. But wow. they're real low, 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 low weights. Well, John, that's pretty exciting. And I think before this thing is ended, as we mentioned before, there may be a lot of 
uh, records that are going to fall. But right now, the participation, I think, uh, as of the kickoff dinner, you had more entries than you had ever had at that point in time. And again, people can still sign up, and they can sign up until the last day and enter this thing. And if they catch a big enough fish, they can take home some really great prizes. That's right. They, they get the biggest yellowtail. We weigh them in. We put them on a fulcrum <laughs> and uh, put the Bellish, Bellish Point Pale Ale on, on the other side till it, uh, till it evens out, and they walk away with all that beer. You know, that's pretty wild that they, they nobody's taken that 50-pound spot because there were the first three fish last year over two were all taken on 50 pounds. Just nobody knew yep. enough to, to, to check that. Right. That's pretty wild. Yeah, the 225 that won the Derby last year was caught on 50 pound, but he did not submit it. I, 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 I went to him and said, "Hey, submit it. You'll have a world record." Didn't do it. Well, John, if people want to go out for a world record, or better yet, compete in one of the categories for the Yellowtail Derby, which this year is uh, white sea bass, tuna, halibut, and of course the coveted prize, Yellowtail. How do they go about yeah. doing it? Well, they got to sign up first. They can't go ahead and catch it and then tell me they want to sign up. have to sign up first. Best place is to online at yellowtailderby.com. And, and just go out and fish. All right. Well, John, I know it's been a long weekend for you. I, I can't thank you enough for that report. We'll be checking into you from time to time to get updated on what's happening on the Derby. But congratulations for a fantastic kickoff uh, banquet that we had there you had bob hoose and bob vanian over there uh, a lot of great guests you had your great sponsors uh, inclu- including soft science with that new deck shoe and and the deck boots that they had which are pretty fantastic uh, it was a, a great event and we'll stay in contact with you thanks john all the best go get a big one all right <laughs> John Campbell, director of the 2017 International Yelltail Derby, and congratulations to Katarina Eckert for uh, uh, leading after the first weekend. Now, Wendy, I know you're uh, with us on Borrowed Time. You're at a special event, too. You're not just up in Bishop, uh, you know, for the lovely weather. What's happening with you up there in the Eastern Sierras? You know, it, it's really it's really neat because, you know, I'm of Japanese descent, and my mother and my father were both interned in, in concentration camps during the war. And my mom, especially because she was an uh, internee from Manzanar. So we did the Manzanar pilgrimage again this year, and it was a 75th anniversary um of the internment camps here in uh, in Manzanar. Wow. And it, it's really neat to see because my mom's 86 years, going to be 86 years old. And so she's one of the few survivors. And she was our personal tour guide for, for this um, trek that we took. And I had 15 of my family members uh, who uh, were able to join us this year. So it was, it was an amazing emotional experience. Uh, trip that we took and my mom was able to take us through all the exhibits and tell her side of the story so just just an amazing amazing story from somebody who still has her faculties that would have been that would have been something did 
Corey or anybody film that? Uh, no, but I did film all of it. I had a girl. You know, because she has a different point of view, being that she was only ten to twelve years old in the camp, compared to the to her sisters who were teenagers. But they have all passed, and she is a few remaining uh, survivors of Manzanar. So I was, uh, my brother and I took a lot of video um, footage of my mom giving my cousins, my second cousins, and my my daughter and and my nieces uh, a tour of of what her memory was of the interpretation center of Manzanar. Wow. Wendy, uh, is there uh, any record of how many surviving uh, Japanese Americans are, are left that are still alive that were interned there at Manzanar? You know, there is not, there, um, but there was a show of hands at the Manzanar at dusk um, uh rally that they had for the younger generation and there were maybe 20 people that were survivors and maybe another 20 that were relatives of survivors so it's you know it's very important especially at, you know at the 75 year anniversary and the 25 year anniversary of the pilgrimage it's very important for us to um relay what went on and for the survivors uh, to the uh, next generation. Right. And, Wendy, for a lot of people that aren't familiar with uh, Manzanar, it was an internment camp that was uh, up there in the eastern Sierras for Japanese-Americans during World War II. But one of uh, the great records that, that we all have and it doesn't make light of the situation, but it shows you the strength of the human spirit is a, a DVD that came out several years ago called The Manzanar Fishing Club. And it it's an amazing story of the people that were there and the people that were still lovers of fishing and how they were able to, I don't know, what can I tell you, to even pursue that Over activity... Home in spite uh, of this uh, horrendous atrocity? You know, Kari Shiozaki and Richard Memora did a great job with their Manzanar Fishing Club. Uh, it was an eye-opener to a lot of people, and it got a lot of people interested in what went on at Manzanar and a lot of people who didn't even realize what was going on over there. But um, there are so many stories. There was an orphanage there. There was and, and and within the camp, it was um, there was there was so much controversy. There was so much love. There was so it was it was an amazing time uh, at you know during the war. How the Japanese wanted to uh, to obey our uh, our president and go into these camps. You know, and there's so many, I mean, you know, as far as being political, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but the Japanese were very subservient, and they were very, uh, uh, they wanted to do what they could for the United States, and they did. And my two uncles, who one of them just passed away this past Monday, uh, who was part of the 442nd Regiment, and it was amazing the the sacrifice 
that a lot of the Japanese community made for our country. Not only that, but uh, those Japanese Americans that served during World War II uh, fought very valiantly for their country, and uh, uh, they are all to be recognized uh, uh, for their service. So, uh, Wendy, I know you've got to get going because you're right in the middle of this activity up there. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to give us a call and relate to us what was happening and the story. And we look forward to uh, having you on with us again as co-host next Sunday night here on Rod and Reel Radio. Great. Thank you. And I'll be posting photos. And I, it was just so moving to be able to have my mom as our personal tour guide of uh, what she could recall from uh, her internment in Manzanar. All right. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Give That's your mom an add a girl for me, will you? I will. Thank you very much, Dan. All right. Hey, uh, that, that's the end of this part of Ron Real Late Radio. Hey, I forgot to mention, uh, coming up uh, later on the show, we're going to have Captain James Nelson. We're going to have Zach Zorn. We're going to have Captain Bill Wilkerson uh, from uh, Mollahini Sports Fishing telling us a little bit about that action out there at the islands. And then coming up at 6 o'clock, Mike Ferrier will be with us. And I, I can't even begin to tell you the title that Mike Ferrier holds, but he's going to be on with us, and you're not going to want to miss what Mike has to say in his story. So stay tuned. Wendy has jumped off the line, but Stan and I will be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hi, I'm Chad, designer and owner of Hookup Baits. Hookup Baits jigs are the most realistic and effective jigs ever developed. The realistic action and looks of these jigs catch everything from crappie and trout to yellowtail and tuna and everything in between. In fact, in the last year, I have only thrown hookup baits and have caught close to 100 different species of fish. These jigs are so versatile and easy to use with eight different sizes and colors to match the hatch wherever you fish. You can fish them on top, you can fish them on the bottom, fast, slow, and even troll them. You can find these great jigs for fresh and saltwater fishing at hookupbaits.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Real Radio Line. <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. Welcome back to Ron Real Radio. And Stan, it's amazing all the people that want to be Ron, Ron Real Radio, is it not? It is, it's a gift. That's all I can say. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. It just keeps on going, buddy. Hey, talking about the gift that keeps on giving, it's now time for the Southern California Inshore Report with the fish icon himself, Captain James Nelson. And you talk about a fella that takes clients out and treats them to a gift that will be memorable. It's Captain James. Captain James, welcome to Rod and Reel Radio. Hey, thanks again for having me, John. Stan, how are you guys doing? It- we're doing so far, great, so Captain good for James. For not being able to fish. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Captain James. This week, outside of uh, you know the bays, it was pretty rough out there. It was windy. It was surgy. But I noticed that uh, uh, in your Facebook posts and the post of your customers, uh, you concentrated more on the bay, and uh, it seems like your guests were pretty richly rewarded. Yeah, you know, I just I take them where they want to go. Do what they do what they want to do, and you know, uh, we even hit up the lake. So we we're at San Vicente the other day. I mean, that's about as far away from offshore as you can get. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but same size fish. Yeah. Absolutely, and that you know, and that's what it's about. I mean, we live in a great area where, I mean, you, you've got those choices. So what yep. if you can't go out and chase bluefin? There's so many other fish that you can get out there and chase. You know, and it's all good. It's all good. 
Oh, yeah. You know, uh, last Monday uh, we had a charter with uh, James, and we got on out, and we thought, well, let's go down to Imperial Beach, and we got out to the mouth of the bay, and we go, that isn't going to happen, and we were thinking about going out to Whistler. That wasn't going to happen, and we even tried to uh, uh, fish the jetty and also the cable. That wasn't going to happen, so we finally had to go a little bit inside the bay, and and Captain James, he didn't uh, disappoint. We caught some nice fish that day. We did, and we we found an area where there was more water under the boat than over it, so that helped. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) hey, I'm seeing some pictures, though, of – uh, clients in the past few days, and even I think I don't know if that was yesterday or today. One of your uh, customers that had just a beautiful halibut. Well, that was today, actually. Yeah, and but we have been getting them. So this, this last last week or so, we've been getting them, and amazingly enough, John, in some really shallow water. Uh-huh. It's almost unbelievable how shallow we're getting them, and and it's funny. You drop out to the deeper stuff, and as <laughs> you get smaller halibut or none. But you go into worse areas that you'd ever think that, okay, well, we'll just catch something here, but I don't think we'll catch a halibut. And sure enough, you catch a halibut. No way. Well, <laughs> you know, Jim, when, when you're going out, I know you let your customers do whatever they want to do, and sometimes you advise them uh, what to do depending on their level of expertise or what they think they know. Uh, uh, what, what are the couple of the good techniques that you employ for catching halibut? You know, the first thing, John, and, and, again, this is what's been working, is the first thing I say, okay, let's let's not go halibut fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really it. Don't go halibut fishing. Just go fishing. You know, that, and, and that's it. I mean, there's a lot of gizmos and trappings and things that you can do and books you can study and read and seminars you can listen to and YouTube stuff that everybody tells you how to catch a halibut. Just drop it. Just go fishing. You know, if you catch a halibut, great. You know, get some ice and your fillet knife ready. If you don't, then just catch what you're going to catch. Have fun. Our bay is full of fish that are more than willing. No point in trying to make anything happen. Just go out there and catch them. Well, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed by the variety of fish. Even when we went out with you and it wasn't the, you know, the greatest fishing day that we've had on the bay, we still caught large sand bass. We still caught legal calicos. We, we caught a, a legal sculpin. We uh, did catch a halibut, but it wasn't legal. But there was such a great variety of fish, and whether you want to release them or you want to save them for table fare, uh, uh, what a great variety of fish we have just in our San Diego Bay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, and that's again, that's one of the reasons why I like it so much, and I I think that's one of the reasons why I, when I get people coming back, that's, they put on their list of things to do to, when they come to San Diego. And it's just such a beautiful scenery. There's a lot of things going on on the weekdays especially. You get to see a lot of shipping and uh, going in and out, different cargo ships and Navy ships. And so it's, it's just fantastic. And then you got days like today where you got a nice breeze and beautiful sunshine and everybody who has a sailboat is out there showing it off. You know, it's just a, a beautiful scenery, just a really something to admire. And then good fishing to go with it. Yeah, well, uh, the quick... cool part is, too, you know, you're you're in a situation where if a guy comes into town and he just wants to go out and do some pulling, it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get pulled on. You can go out there and catch any numbers of types and styles of fish just in the bay with you and, and be entertained all day. 
That's exactly it, Stan. And, you know, it's not like I mind our lakes, but when you compare our lakes, you know, and I get folks that come from Texas, Oklahoma, and Georgia, and they say they want to go bass fishing. I, just, I, I go, what? You know? Yeah, really? <laughs> I mean, I'll take you bass fishing, but, you know, there's a lot of times where once people realize that we have something very special, I mean, just think of the spotty bass. I mean, the, the spotted sand bass that we get, I mean, you go you go south and there's pretty good uh, spotted bass fishing, but, of course, you, you know, you need your passport and all that jazz to go down in Mexico. Uh, but you go up north, you get north of some of the L.A. harbors, and they just disappear. So we've really got something that's really a treat right here in San Diego that we could call our own, and that's those those spotted sand bass. I mean, it's just, they're fantastic, and they rarely leave the bay, which is why I guess everybody calls them bay bass, so that makes it even better. If you don't like um, the ocean, if you're worried about getting seasick, you don't have to worry about it. I've never had anybody get seasick in San Diego Bay, and it's oh. just, it's fantastic for that. You just go and you go fishing, you're on the biggest lake with the full of the most uh, beautiful fish that you could ever imagine. Well, Jim, we still have a lot of spring days and a whole summer ahead of us in the early fall, and I know you still have some openings where people can sign up. If people want to get a hold of you and sign up to come aboard with Captain James Nelson, either fishing San Diego Bay, Mission Bay, any of our lakes here, and I know that you'll even go as far as, as Dana and up into you know uh, Long Beach, how's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, they could always reach me at the website. It's thefishicon.com, three words all jumbled together, thefishicon. Or uh, you could check me out on the telephone, 619-395-0799. All right, Captain James, we look forward uh, to talking to you again next week. Have a fantastic week of fishing, and uh, go out there and get them, okay? Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks again for having me. All right, Captain James Nelson, the Fish Icon. Hey, also, we've got a report coming in from Zach Zorn. Uh, you know, we've got these bluefin tuna off our coast. Uh, he wanted to talk a little bit about how was some of the best ways to, to catch him. He's a contributor here to Ron Real Radio. And he also had a special message for all our listeners from uh, Kessler Yacht. So, Zach, how you doing today, sir? Doing good. Good evening, guys. Hey. Good evening. You know, we're, we're getting more and more reports. We just had a report from uh, uh, John Campbell that uh, 101-pound bluefin tuna was caught on one of the three-quarter-day boats at the uh, Coronado Islands. Uh, you've got a couple of tips maybe for our listeners when it comes to uh, uh, going after those bluefin. Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of learned the hard way last season and early this season. We were out last weekend, and we found straight foamers, 60-pound uh, to about 130-pound fish. They came up for about an hour, found them. We used gyros about five miles away. You, you know, run on them for 10 minutes, and we get there, and there's six spots of fish just up, and we're bit instantly. Um, you know, that nice, about that 100-pound average, so that nice fish, mm-hmm. and we couldn't convert any of those to fish on the deck, unfortunately. And, wow. You know, it's attributed to too small of hooks and too light a line. So if you're going out chasing these bluefin and you're fishing a jig, you want to fish 80-pound, 100-pound fluoro. And if they're foaming and you get to throw a surface iron or a popper or a jig into the foamers, if you could get away with 130-pound fluoro, I would do that. You know, it'll, that extra abrasion resistance will help, um, you know, maybe prevent a chew-off as you're fighting the fish. Yeah, the point then, is to get to land the fish, not just hook them. 
Um, so you yeah, take your best shot be and land in your best. Yeah, you don't want to be on a fish for a while and then lose it right at deep color. No. So you want to tip, tip the scale into your favor. And then if you want to fish bait, fish a hook that's big enough to get in the corner of the mouth. Um, you want to fish four, five, six aught, depending on the size of your bait. And make it a circle hook. You know, that will just prevent, hopefully, the you hooking the fish down the throat and getting it right in the corner of the mouth, and you won't have any line chasing. And that's the, that's the ideal situation. Now, Zach, right now at the bait barge, there are five- and six-inch uh, sardines in San Diego Bay. Uh, if you're going to fly line those, those baits, how best do you hook them, especially with a circle hook? You know, we've just been doing nose hook. If the, if the fish are up on the surface, um, you can do a belly hook, too. And then I saw um, Ryan Booger on the San Diego made a post yesterday and talking about the rubber band rig for when they're marking fish down deep. You can uh, rubber band a torpedo sinker a couple feet above your hook that has a bait on it to get it down into the bite zone. Wow. And, uh, you know, Ryan was fairly successful today. And, and the reports that we're getting uh, from the boats, the number of fish that are being landed is awful small compared to the number of fish that are being hooked. Exactly. I mean, we, we even saw that on the private boat side. So you want to fish a two-speed reel. 65, 80-pound spectra. You can even go 100-pound spectra. Make sure you have fresh top shots, 60-pound, 80-pound mono, or you can go straight to fluorocarbon. And make sure your knots are good. And heavy rod and that two-speed will really help you as you, when you get the fish up and down. Right. Now, hey, uh, uh, Zach, we also know that you're with uh, uh, Custler Yachts, and Last week you got to me at the last minute and you wanted me to put out a, a note to our listeners of something that you're in need of. Uh, uh, are you still in need of that? And, and tell me the details. Yeah, I, I'm in need of some boat inventory. So if you're listening and have any interest in selling your boat to upgrade before the season starts, now is the time to do it. There's a lot more buyers and sellers right now. So you can get top dollar for your boat. Um, it's great to see new people getting into the industry and people that were in it last year upgrading to just bigger rigs to go chase these fish and, you know, head further south. So if you have any interest in selling your boat, uh, now is the time. You know, I saw on your Facebook page and you had posted a, a picture of a boat that was kind of refurbished, was really kind of unique. What was that, and have you had any interest in that? So back in the 70s and 80s, uh, way before my time, there was a company called Livesay. And One of the was, best uh, boats out there. <laughs> I believe it, it is. And I rode on it um, two days ago when the gentleman brought it to me. Um, I believe the Livesay brothers built them in El Cajon back in the 70s and 80s. Wow. And this boat in particular that I have for sale uh, is a 1977. It's 26 feet, but the gentleman put about $130,000 into it and restored it from the bilges up. So it's got a 350 Yamaha with 75 hours, blue water bait tank, Simrad electronics, hydraulic steering, you name it, it's got it. Uh, brand new trailer. So it's the perfect tuna boat, Southern California, marlin boat, whatever you want to throw at it, it'll handle it. When Jay Livesay made that boat, he, he, everybody else has copied that since that time, by the way. Uh, it was just a great design, and it was a well-built boat. It'll handle the water. Uh, there wasn't anything about that. They just didn't have the dough to continue to make it go. That was the only problem with that. But that was a great that, boat. 
that's unfortunate because we rode in it and it's got an extremely deep V. So it yep. plows through everything that we threw at it. We were top speed was 41 knots on that boat. Oh wow! And the gentleman added uh, shine to the side of the hull to give it extra stability. So even though it's a deep V, you don't sacrifice the stability of it. So we listed it for 69,500, which that motor alone installed is 40,000. So it's a great bang for your buck fishing boat. Well, Zach, if people want to get a hold of you and find out about this or other inventory uh, that you have and or if they are interested in selling their boat, how's the best way to go about doing it? They can give me a call at 760-815-8866 or send me an email, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at CustlerYacht.com. All right, Zach. Hey, thanks a lot for that fishing tip. I know we're going to... uh, calling you from time to time because I know, yeah, even though you're working uh, full-time there in the yacht business, you, you take any extra time you have, you're trying to get out there and get those fish, and we want to hear your story when that happens, okay? You got to. You got to get out. You got to have some fun. So I look forward to being back on to tell you a good fish story coming up. All right. Contributor to Rod and Real Radio and also with uh, Kessler Yachts, uh, Mr. Zach Zorn. Hey, uh, and Zach's going to have his commercial playing just after we break here right now, so make sure you take the details. If you've got a boat available that you want to sell or if you're looking for a boat, get a hold of Zach. What do you say, Stan? We take a break right now. Well, we can do that. Come back. I had a guy with a 15-foot uh, uh, kayak that was trying to sell, but I didn't think he wanted that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never want to know. Whatever, whatever floats your boat, Stan. Hey, Stan and I, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to be back after these messages with Captain Bill Wilkerson from Malahini Sports Fishing. He's going to give us an update on what's happening out there. We're having some great reports. Let's see what Bill has to tell us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready to sell your current boat and upgrade in preparation for the 2017 fishing season? It's sure to be one for the bucks. I'm Zach Zorn and a broker for Kessler Yachts located in San Diego. As one of the largest and most reputable brokerages on the West Coast, I can assure that your boat will be sold in a timely manner or that your dream boat will be found. If you want to sell your boat or looking to purchase one, call Zach Zorn at Kessler Yachts, 760-815-8866 so that your name can be added to our long list of satisfied buyers and sellers. That's Zach Zorn, 760-815-8866. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. 
Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Don't you just love California in the summer? Just remember, if you love California and you love the boat, please wear your life jacket and make sure the people you love wear one too. Love California, Boat California, Save California. Share the love at BoatCalifornia.com. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Hey, Stan and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. And now it's time for Doc Talk, brought to you by H&M Landing. And who better to tell us what's happening out there is a guy that's in the middle of the action from Malahini Sports Fishing, Captain Bill Wilkerson. Captain Bill, how are you doing, sir? Hey, good afternoon, John. How are you doing today? Hey, Bill, we are doing great. But I got to tell you, this has got to be the time of the year when I know you're biting at the bit to get out there in the morning and you're kind of lamenting when you have to leave the fishing grounds because it seems like everything is about ready to break loose out there. What what are you seeing? I was, well, we're out today, and uh, it was kind of slow for us, but, I mean, for the most part, I mean, we're seeing big, gigantic bluefin. We fished yesterday. We wound up with uh, two bluefin over 60 uh, actually, one one seventy pounder and one over a hundred plus. Nice uh, for uh, twenty four guys to go along with the eleven yellowtail. I haven't heard from the boat today as of yet. I'm imagining they're on their way home uh, at this time. I'm sure he'll be calling me here shortly. Let me know you know how things progress. You know we're seeing we're seeing lots lots of fish. A lot of times they're just reluctant to bite. You know. And that's, I don't know, that's the easiest way to explain it, John. I mean, you know, the overnight guys seem like they get out there and they get a first, uh, a shot of first light. I'm sorry, at first light and then late in the afternoon. We've been staying late, you know, trying to catch catch up with this uh, stuff that's moving. It's like it's moving to the southeast here a little bit. Hopefully it gets in, or excuse me, hopefully it stays in range for us to, to capitalize on uh, our efforts. So right now, Bill, when uh, uh, your passengers sign up to go with you, what information are you giving them, first of all, for what documents that they need? And if they ask you, what kind of gear are you asking them to gear up with? Uh, I would suggest, because, I mean, the stuff, the fish that we've been looking at here the past uh, four or five days have, have been that bigger grade uh, bluefin tuna, and we're talking anywhere from 60 to 100 and. 20, 100, 130 pounds fish, I would recommend nothing less as far as uh, test, pound test, nothing less than 60 uh, with maybe a 50 to 60 pound fluorocarbon leader if you fish fluorocarbon. Uh, if not, uh, I'd fi- I personally fish a uh, 65 pound braid 
And I use a top shot of uh, just straight 50-pound mono. And it seems like that, it works. You know, you have to work at it like anything else. You know, something that big is going to take time to get it to the boat. Well, right. Yeah, but 50 and 100-pound fish, you, you, that, that works pretty good. When you get that fish that's over, a little over 100, you're going to have to have some talent and the right rod because you've got to have recoil on that rod to get that fish up. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, well, uh, I was out I think, three three weeks ago, and I caught a 55-pound uh, bluefin tuna on a 270. <laughs> well, you can do it. You just got to learn that or know how to pull oh, it. That's the difference. Oh, yeah. It, it was work. <laughs> it was work. I'll admit it. It was definitely work. Well, you know, Captain Bill, right now, uh, Everham Brothers are doing a great job uh, uh, coming up with bait for us to use. It looks like uh, right now a predominance of uh, five and six inch uh, sardines. Uh, is that a, a good bait to use? And how are you hooking up that bait? And we've we've talked a little bit about getting some weight on that line, and uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, the uh, rubber band torpedo method. Uh, uh, run us through that a little bit, would you please, on what's the best thing to use when doing that? Most of the fish that we've been catching have been on uh, flat fall jigs and or uh, a heavy yo-yo iron salus uh, 6X, caddy, 4 anything heavy. You're dropping down anywhere from 150 to 200 feet of water, and you're working that that lure through, through the water column. If you're fishing bait, uh, 2-aught, 3-aught hook, you know, I, I would use a 3-aught. Uh, I personally like to use a 7-aught long shank hook. So when this fish uh, engulfs this uh, bait, and you go to set the hook, a lot of times you won't have time to set the hook. He'll set the hook for you. That hook comes back up and lodges right to that side of that jaw plate to where if he decides he's going to run, he's going to run one direction, and that, that hook is going to set to where the shank is long enough. It's going to uh, come out of his mouth to where he can't bite on the line. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, but when you're hooking up uh, the bait bill, is also that shank, uh, showing out of the, if you're nose hooking it out of the nose, or, or are you disguising that hook, that hook shank in some way? What I'm doing when 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 I'm fishing with that seven knot uh, long shank hook, I'm 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 basically uh, butt hooking my bait. Okay. So the fish comes up behind it as the bait's swimming away and grabs a hold of it. That makes sense. Yep. Totally. So does. To to me, to to me. That causes that that makes that that sardine dive for one. That's why I butt hook the bait. Uh, I I don't necessarily use a torpedo with a rubber band. I mean, you can, and in order to achieve that, you give yourself. I'm guessing one to two foot of uh, line off the back of your hook. Basically, using it as a reverse dropper loop, if you will. You're dropping it down, and you're dropping it down. You're dropping it down. You get bit. You get bit. You'll shake that hook one time, and a lot of times that, that torpedo sinker will come off. Sometimes it won't. Depends well, on how you rig that torpedo sinker with the rubber band. You can use a lightweight rubber band and put make a loop in your line, push it through the bottom of your torpedo sinker, and then put your rubber band through there and tie your knot, and then go back up and do the same thing on the top. 
of your torpedo, push your line through, put a lightweight rubber band through, tie a knot. When you get bit, that'll pop that right through the, the eye back there. The rubber band's going to guard your line, and, and you're on your fish. But that's the easy way to get that done. That'll work. Well, well, Captain Bill, it, it like looks that. like we're going to have great weather this week for the entire week. And, my gosh, the past uh, few weeks it's been iffy. It's been hit and miss and trying to get on out there. You can't do what you want to do. But I think all those excuses are going to be taken away here at least in the next week or so. If we want to get on with Mulhaney Sports Fishing and get aboard and, and take advantage of some of this great fishing, especially – during the week when I think you're going out with lighter loads, uh, how's the best way no, to do it? Definitely. Uh, you can call the Lanyon office. That's H&M Lanyon at 619-222-1144. Or you can go to uh, Malahini Sport Fishing uh, Facebook page and find out what we've been doing, how we've been doing it. And then uh, at the very top of the page, you can click on the Book Now tab, make your reservation that way. I got a question, one more here before we go. Is that, Has there been any preference to weight or color on the platforms? Uh, I've been fishing, well, we've been, the people that have been uh, predominantly catching the uh, bluefin tuna have, fishing, have been fishing with the 202 gram. I'm saying anywhere from 200 to 221 gram would be sufficient for what we're doing. And it's been the yellow and white. Yep. Uh, predominantly, because it glows in the dark. Glows in the dark. Yeah, and they're hard to get. <laughs> yep, they are. <laughs> they are hard to get. It's like, oh my goodness! I think we bought. I think I got the last two or three from the landing here last week. I'm sure they'll have more here in a little in a little I, bit. But well, I know we're all back ordered on them. I mean, we do have some 200 and heavier uh, flat falls, but that uh, that glow in the dark one has been uh, it's uh, the lure du jour. And oh, yeah, uh, has sir. been catching fish. Well, Captain you know, Bill, also that yeah. that red crab, that red crab, seven uh, X heavy. Mm-hmm. That's been working pretty well too. All right. Well, Captain Bill, I appreciate you taking the time. I I know it's been hectic for you, but and this week I think you're you're going to be run ragged, and I hope so. And I hope we get a chance to catch up with you and and hear what's happening because it seems like we are on the cusp of everything breaking loose, and thanks a lot for being with us, sir. Awesome. It was my pleasure. I hope to see you guys next week. Come on down and get on the boat, guys. Let's go fishing. All right. That sounds like a deal, and that invitation's for all of you. (laughs) Yes, sir. Captain Bill Wilkinson. She's she's up in the Sierras. Uh, Yeah, Wendy is uh, up in Sierras, up in Bishop right now, Bill. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Have a great day. All right. Hey, that's uh, Doc Talk uh, from H&M Landing with Captain Bill Wilkinson from Malahini Sport Fishing. And, and Stan, you just have a, a brief report on how the opener and the Sierras with. We spent a lot of time on that last weekend. Uh, uh, did things live up to expectation? Well, you know, there was one of those things where we, were, we wondered whether we were going to need one snow shovel or two. <laughs> but uh, out of all of the miracles that happen on opening day, it, it's 70 degrees and no wind both days up in the Sierras. So the report from Bridgeport Lower Twin Resort, which is famous for landing the big fish of the season, and they've not disappointed anybody. Tim Sullivan up there reported that the big brown trout ate a trolled Uzori dark blue uh, backed uh, 
about 13, size 13 Rapala, but it's a Yuzuri jerk bait. And it was 11.14, just shy of 12 pounds. Wow. But they had, and the guys are fishing 30 to 80 foot deep. A lot of these guys are trolling uh, uh, downriggers to get the, the bait way down when they had that high sun and no wind and beautiful days. But they got a lot of fish, and a lot of two to four, four pound fish were out there. But um, uh, the big one so far has come out of Bridgeport, uh, lower twin as usual. Then Stan, I talked, and, and, was, there, was there any report? Was that a planted fish or was that a holdover? Anybody know? No, those are those just big brown trout that live up there. I mean, the mm-hmm. lake's got big giants, and they eat that that uh, kokanee um, salmon that's in the in Bridgeport Lower Twin and Upper Twin, and that's why that blue backed, dark blue backed yozori works so well. And it, oddly enough, it, the yozori bait has beads in it or has BBs in it, and it rattles. Mm-hmm. You can take that rattle and bait to every other lake in the Sierras, and it may not work. But up there, they chew that doggone thing, and they have for years. That's been one of the, the, the bait du jour, if you want to call it, for Bridgeport, that's for sure. A dark blue back or the black back um, uh, Rapalas just work. And then if you go down to, to the uh, – I talked to the guys at Ken Sporting Goods down at Bishop, and that's the guy that has a little uh, – the famous little freeze rot in front front of their place where you can go look and see what the big fish are that have been caught a lot of them are in there uh they reported the biggest fish was a seven pound and a seven and a half pounder on again troll Paula in the lake but the odd thing is the guys on the shore because they drain the lake a little bit and it's hard to get the boats in and out but a lot of the guys were standing on the shore throwing rapalas off the shore wow. and the the fish ended up being a lot shallower than they thought but they caught lots of that fish and, uh, and you said the average was, you know, three pounds, lots of nice ones. Uh, they didn't get as, the, you know, limits, but you didn't get quantity. You got quality when you got bit. So, um, you know, if you want to go up to, let me give the phone number for Twin Lakes first. If you want to get a hold of those guys, you want to go up there and learn more about it or stay there, you can get a hold of uh, Tim up there at 760-932-7751. If you're going to go into Bridgeport and fish around the local lakes, even up to the Twins, and you want to know what to bring, uh, get a hold of the guys at Ken Sporting Goods, and, and that's 760-932-7707. Going back down to June Lake, now Abby Groms from, uh, or Groms from uh, Crowley is now working the June Lake Marina. And so she said it was pretty epic. They had a lot of people on the water. On Saturday, she said everything was shallow. Uh, they were only... A few colors down. Um, the big fish was a five and a half pound bow, and it came on a pink needlefish. Um, the second day, Sunday today, it, the fish went deeper. It seemed that they were having to go down a few more colors. Um, and small Rapalas got the best results along with those needlefish, and they're catching some cuts along with, with the browns there, too. Um, what, at Crowley, they, I had friends up there fishing they said they had 20 brown trout and one cut the average size was probably two and a half to three pounds um so quality fish but they got a lot of twos and threes and fours at crowley the big fish um i've heard of was a six uh, six and a half pounder cutthroat um but the, another five and a half pound cut or five pound two ounce cut was cut on green the the bait du jour up there seemed to be the green garlic power bait uh, a lot of fish were caught there. Another 5-2 uh, bow was caught on a pink needlefish at Crowley. But lots of that 
that uh, three and two and three and four pound fish caught a crowley and and the fish seemed to be shallow and from everybody's report they were all on rapala baits the rapala bait especially coming out of the the uh, ice here they're looking to chew on something and they're eating the meat to start to get fat again the bug population hasn't started yet so they're really keyed in on eating meat so if you're going to go up there in the next couple weeks that's your target you know pull a rapala around something that looks like a small bait fish and you'll probably do as well as anybody you'll you can check with anybody in the marina there if you want to call crowley lake proper give them a jingle and they can set you up adam is always on at what's going on and their phone number is 760-935-4301 they can set you up with camping or cabins or whatever else you need there or boats if you're going to take a boat up call them and ask them what the deal is with the quagga check and uh, go on from there but uh, Great reports, Dan. Man, it sounds like it's worth the price of admission to get on up there. And, again, it looks like we have great weather coming up in this week and maybe the next few weeks to get on up there and and take advantage of that fantastic fishing. And the fishing is good. All right. Hey, Stan and I, we're going to take a break right now. Wendy's up in uh, Bishop, California, uh, so uh, she'll be back next week uh, uh, with us. Coming up in the next hour, Mr. Mike Farrier is going to be with us. And if you don't know Mike, I'm just going to tease you a little bit. He's an IGFA trustee. He's a collector. He's a historian. He's going to talk a little bit about the history of tuna fishing here on the West Coast and how we started it all, plus a number of other interesting things. So stay tuned. Coming up in the next hour, Mike Farrier is going to be with us. Stan and I are going to take a break right now. We'll be back with you after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at El CajonFord.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. Share the love at BoatCalifornia.com. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a bit set back with just what company to go with? Rod and Reel Radio urges you to try American and family-owned Land's End Charters. Land's End Charters offer their clients affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with their brand name fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a family-run business with over 50 years of experience. Go to LandsEndCharters.com to see all the current vessels and amenities available and call Cabo Greg or Jenny directly at 800-281-5778 when you're ready to get fishing. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in La Mesa at 619-466-8355. Attention Rod and Reel Radio listeners, be sure to check out the Code Group mobile app. You can listen to the Rod and Reel Radio show live along with show archives without internet access. The Code Group app has all kinds of cool features for fishermen including daily Southern California saltwater reports, weather reports, episodes of inside sport fishing, marine traffic, and much more. Get the free Code Group mobile app by texting the word REEL, R-E-E-L, to 90407, or enter the words code group in the App Store on your smartphone. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Stan and I, we want to welcome you back to the second hour of Rod and Reel Radio. Wendy is up in Bishop, California, and will be with us again next Sunday night. But Stan, Wendy, and I, we have been looking forward to having this next guest on Rod and Reel Radio for a, a long time. The only problem that I have is with his wealth of information, I'm not sure how I can fit him into one hour, let alone the entire Rod and Reel Radio show. He is a trustee for the IGFA. He is a historian for the IGFA, and also when it comes to tuna fishing out here on on the West Coast. He is a collector not only of antique fishing gear, but he is a collector of fishing-related items that the uh, Aboriginal Americans collected when they were inhabiting the North American continent. There's a lot more going for him, but let me introduce to you to our guest for the next hour in Rod and Reel Radio, Mr. Mike Ferrier. Mike, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you so much. That's quite an introduction there for you. You know, the, the only thing missing on that that I'm so proud of is the uh, Tuna Club. I'm past president and have been historian there for approximately 30 years. Wow. And that's really where our sport began, the, the sport of big game fishing. It was uh, uh, really claimed by others around the world and, and uh, often by the East Coast, but that's one of my proudest accomplishments is to get all of that uh, in historical, chronological order. And we, in California, were the first to catch uh, tuna on rod and reel, marlin, and broadbill swordfish. Well, Mike, before, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about you, though. I mean, we, we are talking about 
uh, IGFA trustee. We are talking about historian uh, for the Tuna Club. We are talking mm-hmm. about a collector par excellence, so your, your interest in Aboriginal uh, American artifacts, especially when it pertains to the catching of fish, uh, you know, from people that inhabited the Americas uh, since uh, recorded history. How, how did you gain just this rounded background and this love for all these different activities? Tell us a little bit about your, yourself. Well, thank you. Well, I was born in California, but uh, early in my life, my father moved uh, myself and my two brothers up to Alaska. And during that time, we had a lot of friends that hunted and fished. This was some time ago, so we didn't have the roads that we do today, but we uh, were able to fly in and uh, backpack in and do whatever we had to do to some pretty remote areas. Uh, we, we boated at times, and one fellow that I worked for uh, had a license to buy ivory and, uh, and different artifacts. And so uh, that's sort of where I think the bug started. Later in life, I, uh, in the early 70s, I think it was 72, I found an old reel at a uh, swap meet uh, in, uh, I think it was San, uh, the old uh, San, Bernard- San Bernardo winery and uh, was curious about it. So that started it off in the, in the uh, tackle collecting. And I found uh, in those days there was really no sources, no email, of course, nothing of that. So I began collecting uh, books and manuscripts of all types and, and catalogs and began to understand what uh, tackle uh, was called quality tackle and, uh, you know, which were not. And it sort of gave me a head start. I had several years where people were donating things to me. It was just, uh, you know, really very nice. Uh, they just appreciated the fact somebody was. Now, I am a collector and not a dealer, so I, I'm very much the same way. And I just recently uh, had a show at the, at the Docks where we helped a lot of people understand, uh, you know, what they had, too. And I, I love to see people becoming collectors. But all of my life has been spent uh, in the two things that I, I just really love the most, and that is uh, the outdoors. So I have a landscape contracting company uh, here in San Diego uh, that has been uh, my business for 43 years now, and I have uh, uh, always uh, just loved that side and will always stay with it. And the other is uh, my uh, love of fishing and all things related and the respect I have for our our forefathers and the things that they developed uh, brought for us to use today. So I'm I just uh, am very uh, attached to those two items. And uh, so now, tell us, I've tell been... us about how you got involved with the uh, the tuna club. Because here, here you are, uh, a, a, a fellow that's uh, in Alaska, and you must have come back here. And and how did you gain this association with the tuna club? Well, um, I had first uh, began collecting antique tackle, and uh, was invited uh, by a member. Uh, to join a luncheon and uh, of Tuna Club people, and, and uh, during that luncheon, I presented the organization with a model reel that was uh, used by Charles Holder to catch the first large tuna here in 1898. Wow! Uh, they didn't have one in their, uh, you know, their archives. And uh, then I went on a trip. Uh, we actually chartered Frank Lepresti's uh, boat, and we went to Royal Polaris. Went down uh, several of us on a, a nice, uh, I think it was an 11 day. And we had a lot of tuna there, so I got to know a lot of the fellows. And that's that's kind of how that goes. You you know, it's people that you know. But I, 
I think that I, I knew more about the history of the tennis club than anyone there. They had really lost track of the fact of what California had been able to accomplish. And so uh, they welcomed me in and uh, with open arms, and it's been a, uh, just a, a wonderful Wonderful adventure for me. I, I have, uh, as I say, served through the chairs. I was chairman at the end of our 100-year uh, celebration, and I uh, was just chaired an event last year for our 100th year at our current clubhouse, which well, well, has Mike, remained standing. Well, uh, presenting them with the this reel that that was Charles. I mean, not only was uh, was it a, a very special reel, but to the Tuna Club, it, it should have been really have some special meaning. What was that meaning? Well, it to me, uh, it signified you know, the beginning of big game fishing because that tackle was used to catch the first large tuna in the world. Uh, in so doing, then our founder, Charles Holder, established the Tuna Club in 1898. He was also the co-founder of the Tournament of Roses, and, and uh, to those in California history, he was, he was a a uh, very prolific writer, very interesting person from Pasadena. So to me, that really sort of uh, was a starting place uh, for big game fishing because uh, it was the reel uh, that, you know, was uh, it was the model reel that was used to uh, launch it all. Wow. And and tell us a little bit about that reel and and the, the actual tackle that Charles used because it, it's unfathomable to – to think with all the the special gadgets that we have now that these fellows were actually going out and and taking tackle that must have been adapted for some other reason to start going after these large fish. <laughs> well, it, it was in a way. You know, in our uh, saltwater story in America, we began around the Civil War a little before it uh, on the eastern seaboard catching striped bass. Uh, they were the New York reels you hear about, and then went down to Florida for the tarpon. And uh, two families that got involved, they were involved in the, uh, both in the East Coast fishing and also the Florida with the Baumhoffs, Edward and Julius Baumhoff. And Julius made a, a reel uh, that uh, superseded his, his brothers that was a uh, um, just a very fine piece of work in his day. And they simply increased the size from, you might find a 3 or a 4, up to a 6 size uh, and sent it out west. So that's exactly what the tuna fishermen were using. Uh, they just had Julius make a larger version of it. Now, to danger is, is really the key word here because they moved beautifully. They, they just turned like a clock, but uh, all you had for a braking mechanism was your clicker and a leather thumb pad that you had to press down. So as a fish takes the line, then the handle spins backwards like a buzzsaw. So you have to be pretty dexterous to get out of the way, but get your thumb on that uh, line as it's going out 100 miles an hour uh, in order to avoid a backlash, right? So it, it took a little doing. A lot of people got hurt. Our tuna club had a little part uh, of the Hotel Metropole uh, in the old days, and it was a very early hotel there before we had a clubhouse, and they used to call the corner of it the uh, Tuna Hospital. We had a doctor in our group, Dr. Peace, and he used to help bandage people. And it wasn't just the arms. Uh, they also dislocated shoulders on occasions, and then they had uh, terrible sunburns, and the guys just really weren't used to sitting out there on the reflected water. And they'd overdress and overheat, and, uh, you know, there was a lot that could go wrong on a 
<laughs> so it was dangerous. <laughs> well, there are some uh, areas of fishing that haven't changed in uh, over 100 years. <laughs> you know, a lot of the pictures that yeah. we see, you know, uh, uh, the blurry pictures uh, of the men and women with these big fish, the women are dressed to the T, the, the guys have jackets and suits and ties on and mm-hmm. everything else like that. And you're going, right. did they fish like that or did they change clothes to, in order well, to take those like photos? That. Most often they change clothes. You know, for example, at Catalina Island, it was just a one-stop shop. When you got off the, the ferry, essentially there was a lineup of boatmen. They were kind of calling out, you know, hey, you know, fish with us, fish with us. So you had all of this to go through, and you'd make your reservations, sometimes even before you checked into the hotel. Some people just stayed on tents. There were a lot of tent camping for summer. Uh, there was just a beautiful place. So at any rate, oftentimes, uh, toward the end of the day, the cameramen would come out to the stands, and they would be uh, looking for people who might want the picture of their catch. And uh, the ladies and gentlemen would often run into the hotel to their room or wherever they were and change into something to make it look like they hadn't even been, uh, you know, out fishing. And, of course, that's going home. That's uh, the picture that they wanted to show of their adventures at Catalina, but everybody wanted to make it look easy, I guess. But, no, there are other other pictures with men that were, you know, stripped down to uh, T-shirts or nothing. And uh, they did, in fact, uh, often get, uh, you know, sunburned and, and wear big hats. A lot of them uh, wore giant sombrero-type hats to protect themselves from the sun because, it, it uh, as you know, it's pretty powerful when you're out there all day, especially okay. if you now, come from now, Wisconsin. Right Now, tell us about the rods. Now, here in the shop over, you know, the past umpteen years that we've uh, been selling fishing tackle, we'll also have fishermen come in to refurbish tackle, and they'll have something from granddads. And I can't tell you the number of wooden rods that we've had come in that I think are either made out of oak or spruce. And then also, if you will, going along with those rods, what did those guys use for fishing line? Because of the fact that monofilament wasn't available until much later than this time we're talking about. That's for sure. Well, the rods are really an interesting subject, and California has a lot to be proud of there, too, in the way of saltwater rods. Rods are made of just darn near anything, and uh, in the earliest days you'd find them of uh, noisy wood or all kinds of things. Hickory was common. Um, No spruce that I know of. uh, think too soft, but uh, um, there was some old-growth oak as well but it, it didn't you know always serve too well it would take a spiral on it usually it was very hard to keep it from uh, curling on you and most of the rods that you uh, have come in there that were before world war one are easily identifiable typically by the number of wraps that they have going up and down the length of the rod for example newer rods will have the the uh, guides wrapped uh, the very early ones particularly in the split bamboo types which were made very early on, they will have a series of tiny wraps going up and down them, and you probably see some of those on your uh, on your collection there. And those were to hold that wood together uh, because glues were not as, as uh, well made until after World War One, and hence then that is kind of a, you know, that is sort of a cutoff point. You can usually tell also by the ferrules, the type uh, of handles and, and uh, but that they have. The better ones were always marked. Uh, they would say something like, you know, uh, Vom Hoff, 
uh, something like that on them. Uh, and uh, Roy Shaver, a great California rod maker. Uh, I have a lot of his rods that were made. Uh, some of them were the very first light tackle rod ever made in the world. That is a six-thread rod. Let me take that back, not light tackle. It was the year before. But that's a six-thread uh, linen uh, uh, rod, and he made them for six people. And they had to weigh no more than six ounces at the tip and stand no more than six feet tall. And they largely fished yellowtail and the like. But they've gone on now with... We've conquered everything except broadbill swordfish with those uh, with those weights. Uh, Mike, uh, we got to take a Mike. I, I have to interrupt you. We got to take a break right now, though. Can we ask you though to continue this uh, after uh, these commercial messages? Oh, I'd stay on as long as you want. I'm enjoying it very much. <laughs> That's hey, what so. I'm afraid of, Mike. Because this is way, way, way <laughs> too interesting. Hey, but well, Stan great. and I were talking with Mike Ferry. We're talking a little bit about the history of tuna fishing. We're going to talk about the IGFA, and we're going to talk about lure collecting and uh, antique rod and reel collecting if we get the chance. So stay tuned. That'd There's still more with Mike Ferrier to come after these messages. Don't you just love California in the summer? Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket and make sure the people you love wear one too. Love California, boat California, save California. Share the love at BoatCalifornia.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey, everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. Share the love at BoatCalifornia.com. 
And we want to welcome our listeners back to Raw and Real Radio. Hey, we are speaking with IGFA trustee, historian, uh, collector of uh, antiques, antiquities, and also old uh, 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 collectible tuna gear, uh, rods, reels. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the reels. We were getting into the rods and the line that was used uh, with them, and, and Mike, continue. You know, we were talking about the rods, but as mm-hmm. we're going, you you just couldn't walk into uh, a, a local a hardware store and go, yeah, give me, uh, you know, 500 yards of this line that I can go out and fish a 100-pound tuna with. What, what did they do to, to, get, to get what they yeah. needed? Actually, they did. They had uh, several line makers that uh, had quality linen line. Uh, that's a flax product, right, uh, that uh, was available. Um, that linen line had been available uh, in good quality from about the 1840s and 50s on, and it came about as a result of commercial activity. Uh, one would be Lester Crandall, uh, who developed uh, uh, the Ashaway line. It was uh, one of many. And most of the best linen, uh, processed linen, came from Ireland. Um, it is grown in many places of the U.S., but it went through a series of processes to become line, but they had over a mile walk in uh, that uh, was in existence back in Ashaway, Rhode Island. And they used to just make this stuff, spin it, and it was as uniform as could be. You always paid more for the better quality, just like you would today. Uh, but they had a lot of good lines. Uh, the problem with it is that's the only line they had. And linen, uh, being a natural material, has a lot of fiber coming off of it if you looked at it uh, under a looking glass. So consequently, when you put it in the water, the drag is tremendous. Mm. So when you start talking about using lighter material, uh, like like uh, a six-thread, which would be something we uh, would equate to a 20-pound test, so it's a little lighter, um, that, when it has a belly in it, uh, just from the speed of the fish will break. So it's a, it's a difficult line to use, but we at the Tuna Club still use it to this day. In fact, we're not allowed to use monofilament under any of the new lines except for leader. Uh, we really? have to use uh, no yeah kidding. Dacron. We use Dacron or linen line to this day. So when and, you uh, when you I, start talking about threads, you know we have uh, a six thread or eight thread or whatever it is. What what's the uh, poundage of, of uh, eight well, thread? Roughly, or how do you uh, how do you equate uh, that? Yeah, kind of roughly, you would say that uh, a three pound three thread is a pound. So if you said six, you you see what I mean? You're at eighteen, right? So we call it twenty. So as I say, it's a little bit lighter, but that's a rough gauge. So you will find old schools of line that very commonly will be run all the way, you know, up to 54 thread, sometimes even 72. And so they were built for very heavy use, and those lines continued, uh, and many uh, world records were made on them for the IGFA uh, until World War II came about and then the uh, advent of good quality monofilament. And after the, well, to the old-timers listening, they'll say, quality, that was terrible, that stuff, and it was. It was kind of <laughs> stiff. But it has a, it had an elasticity to it, and it had a smoother uh, surface to it, and it did make fishing a lot easier. Uh, I would imagine the thread on that leather pad on your, for your thumb, for your drag, would get smoothed out pretty quick. Right. I've got some that are all the way through. Um, oh and, uh, you know, if they're used a lot, that's certainly the truth. 
Uh, but you don't, you know, want to put too, too much pressure on them, of course. Uh, they work very efficiently, especially if they're getting a little wet. Uh, they can really put that brake on, and, and uh, you can snap a line. Uh, they are that effective, you know, particularly given if you've got line out in the water, right? And that adds an awful lot of drag to it. Yeah, the drag of that but line, it, then it you was, start putting your thumb on that spool. But it was uh, that, very that would take a little you know, work to, to get your it, thumb It would. You, you have to. And the Tuna Club uh, gave up on that idea yep. around 1903. But oddly enough, uh, we considered it uh, unfair when a couple of uh, manufacturers came up, like uh, Francis Reba, with an external drag. Um, they just didn't believe it was fair at all. Uh, they just liked the people who had the records, say, with the linen, for example. You know, they didn't think that because they earned it the hard way, they had to give it up to the people that were fishing monofilament. Uh, but at any rate, the Tuna Club uh, had to give in because there were many great inventions. Most all of them, including that Raybeth handle I was just talking about, were developed in California, uh, Mr. Raybeth being a, a Californian himself. So well, most of these things, the great rods, many of those uh, beautiful early rods I was telling you about, even laminate rods uh, that uh, were popularized, uh, still being used in the 50s, but uh, were, were really the hit in the 30s. Uh, those, like the Bemini Kings and the like, those actually weren't the first laminated rods. We made them here in California with a California rod maker uh, named Roy Shaver, also a Tuna Club member. Well, Mike, uh, before we uh, uh, get on to the, um, uh, the importance of uh, California tuna fishing and, and what it had for the world, we, you just briefly mentioned monofilament. Now, as I understand it, monofilament's a nylon product, and you mentioned that it was made around the time of World War II. It, it, what, mm-hmm. what was the, how did that come about? Because here we were at a time when um, we were getting close to a war. Materials were scarce. Uh, uh, so wh- was it made during the war, before the war, after the war? Or, or what's the story behind monofilament? Some before the war. And, uh, and of course, fishing during the war was largely... Uh, shut down uh, on the ocean it was supposed to be, but many people snuck out. Um, there's, uh, uh, you know, good, pretty good examples before the war of the stuff that, that worked, but it was just, you know, it was just still stiff, yeah. sticky, and it would curl, take a terrible curl. You've probably seen it on an old reel somewhere. So it uh, was popularized after the war, and it was developed during the war, just like many plastics and, and many durable uh, and weatherproof, you might say, uh, items such as, uh, you know, for bailing and, and binding or any number of situations that might come up because all of the materials prior to that were just natural, like hemp uh, and, uh, you know, and, and fibers from plants. And right. they no. would they would wear out a couple of times wet, a little bit of too much of the sun, and they would break. Now, so Mike, uh, when, when you had turn-of-the-century fishermen uh, uh, fishing for these big tuna, was it predominantly bait fishing, and when did the advent of some type of a lure come in, or was that almost instantaneous? Well, it was instantaneous to a few. Some people had uh, fished the East Coast where uh, they had developed lures to, you know, to a much higher degree than we had here. Uh, John Philip Sousa's uh, son, when he returned uh, with his father from Japan, for instance, introduced uh, Japanese feather hooks, uh, uh, I believe, in around the early 20. But they had been around. Uh, Indians had used them very successfully, uh, all types of funny skirts. And uh, there had been just the old uh, cedar plug, like we're very familiar with, 
uh, had probably been invented around the 1870s or 80s on the East Coast, and uh, and it was popular early on. I've seen several pictures with big tuna and cedar plug coming out of their mouth that uh, date back to 08 and uh, to 12. Um, but primarily the guys that went out uh, originally were fishing with flying fish, and they would uh, tow them, uh, just tow them in a slow troll behind the boat. That was the thing. And that made up for most of it. Every now and then you'd hear a story about a guy casting. And, and uh, Holder claimed at one time in the very early days that he could see him like a school of geese in the water. And he'd cast out to the large one in the lead and uh, things like that. But casting was not typical. You know, it was uh, mostly looking for the schools working. And they were highly visible in those days. Sometimes you could see uh, maybe 18, 20 acres of white foam breaking anywhere from Long Point back to Avalon. And these fish would come charging in, taking in the flying fish, sardines, anchovies, whatever they could come in, and force them into those little bays and estuaries. Uh, and many times the, the anglers on the beach would hand line with that old linen and a hook and just take a bait and throw it right back out there. That was a very popular thing to do. Handlining was uh, was a hot ticket uh, for most of the people that went over in the tents until Holder brought the first rod and reel over to Catalina Island. And well, uh, I believe that was 1886. Well, Mike, then uh, to complete the whole rig, what what was the thing with uh, uh, hooks? Were they, were they forged, hand-forged? Were they blade hooks that were hand-sharpened? Uh, did they come from the East Coast, or was there an industry that was developed out here in the West for hooks? Oh, yes. Hooks are, um, uh, hooks are ancient, and there had been many uh, great improvements on hooks by the time the tuna club came in. There were some experimental types, like a, a Van Vleck made a hook, for example, with a barb on the outside uh, that he thought would work better for tarpon. Uh, it didn't work so well for tuna, but no, they they came in all sizes, and many people made them. Even Joe Cox, a famous reel maker here, made some, but they were easy to come by. Uh, they shipped from Germany, from England, and from America, and uh, many of them were beautiful and held a shape, and they're, they still stand up today. I have several of them that you could put into a... Uh, uh, on a line right now, and you'd feel confident with it. But I have hooks. Uh, hooks go way back, as I say, but I have a few in my collection. I also, as he pointed out, collect uh, hooks and, and lures from around the world. But I, I have uh, South American ones that uh, go back to 400 B.C. Wow. And uh, made of copper. They're very, very beautiful. And I have a solid gold hook that is uh, about 1,600 years old uh, that also came from South America in Peru. And uh, the, the people, the Nazca people, who are known for drawing those great big uh, uh, insects and flying creatures uh, down in South America on the hillside, which actually they, they turned out they used those to plant by. Those were the way the sun came down on them, so they're not UFO spotters. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the hooks have been around for ages. I have uh, ancient uh, Egyptian Roman hooks, Viking hooks. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of different types, but uh, they had come to... Uh, you know, to be a, a very fine art at the time the tuna club uh, came about. Well, you know, and, and Mike, uh, I know we're just about on top of a, a break, but we can start it on. You attribute the fishing here on the West Coast as, as being, you know, the, the leaders in catching these, these big tuna. And we think about East Coast tuna, you, you know, we, we think about, you know, fishing up towards Nova Scotia and the huge fish that they have up there but 
did mm-hmm. did all of that was the genesis here of what people were learning uh, on the West Coast at the turn of the century here? Yeah, well, we pretty much allowed that. The reels that were used on those giant Nova Scotia fish, uh, Zane Gray, for example, got the world record of 710. He used California-made tackle. He used a... Uh, uh, Jay Cox reel made in Los Angeles, and a uh, hickory rod uh, made by L.G. Murphy. So a lot of that equipment was taken back and really spurred him on. Our change in consciousness, if you will, uh, where the East Coast began to take uh, a little more of the, the limelight, you might say, is about in that time, because the Tuna Club made a conscious decision. Again, there were no other clubs at that time. I, I just say Tuna Club is all of us. It's California. Yeah. But there was no other club active. The Tuna Club was world-renowned, and what they said went. And we decided we weren't going to go outside of our own territorial waters, which are Point Conception, uh, you know, down to the below the Mexican border. And uh, so consequently, when they were discovered in other areas like Nova Scotia and Florida and Key West and like, uh, it made big news, and they were bigger fish. They caught... Uh, you know, our marlin are striped marlin, right? And uh, they don't get that large, and our tuna never, uh, well, they, they could because the commercial boats have got them to 700 pounds, and they're probably larger occasionally. But those are, you know, caught up at the Channel Islands, and nobody really knows how those fish got there exactly, but they probably travel deep and eat constantly on squid and Spanish. Uh, but in here, we have them, but our fishery is just smaller. Uh, our broadbill is, is uh, a better one. You know, we've got some very nice broadbill here. But uh, so as they caught blue marlin and black marlin uh, in other seas, and uh, as they caught giant tuna, as you say, uh, the limelight went off California uh, for a number of years, and many people gave them credit for developing uh, many of the inventions. You know, the outriggers and the kites, and many of the things that went along with that. But the fact is, uh, the tuna club. Uh, invented uh, Californians, again, I say, invented the the kites and the outriggers and even uh, fishing flags uh, and the fishing chair and many other things. And they have probably the earliest uh, true sport fishing boat that was ever made. It was, uh, uh, you know, just a fabulous small craft in 29. So we have just about most of the beginnings, but again, you know, the rest of the world took off and lots of big news and uh, so when, when you're fighting people for press time, like, uh, uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway or something, you're, you know, you're, you're going to lose the limelight, as I say. <laughs> right. Mike, we're up against another break. Can we ask you to stay for one more segment, please? Oh, I'd stay as long as you like. You bet. Love it. Thank cool. you. Stan, this is okay. fabulous. I'm, I'm just in awe of this. A lot of stuff I, I just never learned. I, I never knew and I never realized. It's great information. Well, that's well, because, you. you know, I mean, the, the, the the history of, of Southern California and, I mean, everything, a lot of the world followed what happened That's here. Right. So, That's you know, right. I mean, when we come back, I want to ask about Ernest Hemingway. All right. All hey, right. Uh, hey, we are great. speaking with Mike Ferrier. He is a historian for the uh, Tuna Club, also IGFA historian. He's uh, a collector of some renown, too, when it comes to antique, uh, uh, not only fishing gear, but antiquities uh, from uh, aboriginal people that uh, you know settled the Americas. So stay tuned. We have more Rod and Reel Radio to come after these messages. Thanks, guys. 
Chris Rando from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief. It's here, and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips, ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity. We have twin six-ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Don't you just love California in the summer? Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket and make sure the people you love wear one too. Love California, boat California, save California. Share the love at BoatCalifornia.com. Hey, bass fishermen. Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program. It is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for bass boat insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. Rod and Reel Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Hey, Stan and I, we welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. We have our special guest, Mike Ferrier, with us, and Stan... You had a question you wanted to ask, uh, Mike, uh, about some of the personalities that have gone after Big Tuna over the years. Well, I know Zane Gray and, and Hemingway had their their own uh, events, if you want to call it, with building boats and, and fishing records and fishing equipment and, and how they built the boat. I know Hemingway built his own boat in the late mm-hmm. 30s. Um, and the uh, how much did he have an effect on, on the fishing equipment out here? Did he buy his fishing equipment from here and take it back there? Well, that's, that's kind of an interesting question. You know, uh, I would say of all of the really noted uh, 
anglers. Um, I would have to say that Ernest Henningler was by far uh, the least uh, concerned with tackle. He had some good pieces, uh, and I'm very fortunate to own his uh, 12-0 uh, Finor reel that was really and uh, making. Yeah, I have some other things of his, but I, I know his granddaughter, and there's no other tackle around that uh, is known to be his. And part of that is because he didn't mark it, and he would use anything from Pflugers to Baumhoffs or anything. He even used a six-inch uh, Hardy's Angry model he liked for some time. But he was not big on that, and he he just bought stuff basically and ordered it off the rack. That uh, that reel that he ordered there was to take to Cuba, uh, and uh, along with a, a set of rods, and that was uh, you know that was kind of how he operated. Uh, very interesting, and he never fished for records. By the way, this is another thing that's fascinating. So he would never enter a record into uh, the uh, IGFA and uh, didn't ever want a world record. He felt that was, uh, you know, something that other people could do and compete. But while he was uh, a trustee, which he was for some time, uh, he did not want to, you know, take the possible win away from anyone else. He was really an interesting guy that way. But his love of uh, of Fidel Castro and the communist uh, movement really hit him with a lot of people. And we, uh, you know, he had a lot of... uh, uh, anglers unhappy with him over that particular issue, but he nonetheless stayed the course, did pretty much as he wanted. You know, he was a very much of an individual. Zane Gray was quite different. Zane was a, uh, well, just to cut to the chase, kind of a braggart. You know, he would write uh, these books, of course, about, you know, the stars and blacking out and the great pain and so forth. And he had his comings, uh, kind of an interesting story. If you got just a second, he had uh, caught the world's first fish over a thousand pounds in Tahiti. It was a thousand forty one. Uh but sharks had mutilated the tail. It still was a thousand forty one after it was hung. Mm-hmm. But there was no International Game Fish Association at that time, but there was the tuna club. Uh and while their waters are still very territorial, their rules uh influenced everyone uh internationally. And they considered the fish to be uh you know an improper catch because of the mutilation and everyone accepted that. So Zane Gray was denied the first 1,000-pound fish. That didn't occur until 1952 with uh, Mr. Alfred who was also a IGFA trustee, recently passed on. So that uh, that's kind of what happened to him. But through that time, uh, and I have that bill, too. It's a, it's a, a very nice bill, and he denied uh, Captain Mitchell one that would have been a grander at the Bay of Islands many years before that. But they hung it out to dry on Otahai. Uh, for three days and then brought it in and had to cut it into three pieces. I had interviewed a, a fellow who was alive then. I used to be a member of the Bay of Islands Swordfish Club. He was alive and watched it when they brought it in, and because it lost a few kingies and, and a, one tuna, uh, and they carried it up into three parts, it weighed 976. And that probably would have been uh, the first 1,000-pound uh, fish. But Gray denied his uh, companion, uh, Captain Mitchell, that honor because... Uh, that's what he had stated privately uh, all his life. He wanted to catch the largest fish in the world. So <laughs> he didn't always come out too good. And he, he lost at the Tuna Club uh, a little bit of favor, and he finally resigned there when a lady caught a larger fish than he did, Mrs. Spaulding of the Sporting Goods families. Mrs. Spaulding uh, was accused of having help from the boatman, uh, which she did not. She was only 98 pounds, but she was a world-class angler. And uh, at any rate, so the president that year of the tournament happened to me as just balding himself. 
And uh, so he asked uh, for either an apology publicly or a resignation, and Zane Gray did both. Uh, and uh, and it was not he was not terribly missed, oddly enough, by the people. Sounds like it uh, of the club. <laughs> and um, so it was uh, it was one of those things. But he went on to have kind of a cantankerous relationship, you know, with with anglers in general around the world for many years, and uh, that happened fresh and so. You know, one of the movies that uh, I, I've always been an odd uh, of is uh, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Have a Have Not, and where he is a uh, a, a, a charter skipper, and he, there are there are segments of him, you know, taking people out fishing, and uh, it was a rouge for smuggling and everything else like that. But the reels that they were using then were just incredible, and I, you know, we we're talking about uh, 1938. Uh, 1936, that area. Uh, was Humphrey Bogart a big fisherman, too? Well, he did fish. Yeah, he loved to fish. Uh, in fact, it, it's amazing how many people in the motion picture industry did. Uh, we had in our club, we had many, uh, like Charlie Chaplin and many great, uh, uh, many great uh, directors like Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we had, you know, Bing Crosby and many people so from California that loved to fish and all around the world. You find that Lee Marvin was really into. Like he that. wanted to catch that grander big time. Um, yes, he did. You're right. You're right. And he, of course, was down uh, in Mexico a lot, like uh, you bet. As, as were other people, you know, that we knew in that time. And uh, yeah, it's 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 strange, but uh, angling touches many people. Uh, they have different reasons, but I think it always brings people back, you know, to earth and, and gives them a, a clean thing there where they have to focus on and forget all else for the time. And and when you soak up that much nature, you can't help but come back with a better attitude. I think and, it's the best you know, equalizer think, uh, of men that's ever been out there. Well, that's true. I often used to say that too. It is uh, two men with two rods. Uh, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's that's what's going to happen. But you know, that's why it's wonderful to see fathers and sons or daughters fish too. We love that. Mike, we yep. we you mentioned it a couple of times. An organization called the IGFA, the International Game and Fish Association. Tell us a little bit about that. And what is you mentioned also? You are and a couple of people that are trustees. I know people are representatives, like, you know, we had mm-hmm. uh, uh, John Campbell well, Wendy on earlier, one. which is an IGFA. Re- Tell us uh-huh. just briefly John about the organization yeah. and, and what the difference is here. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'd love to talk about it. I've got a few announcements to make, too. But the IGFA is a nonprofit, and we were established in 1936 uh, in Florida. Actually, New York City was the first thing. We soon moved to Florida. Um, and it is a institution that's just dedicated to uh, very much uh, of the conservation end of things and encouraging ethical angling, very much like our, our own tuna club was here. It's, uh, it's just very interesting the way that they've worked this together. They have a lot of educational uh, programs, and uh, it's just a, a unique organization. It's one I, I say as often it's in service to all and competition with none. It's just a... A booster, if you will. So, Mike, I hate to rush you, but we got three minutes yeah. left over here. So, oh. if, if you can kind of wind this up quickly. Well, I would like to just make a couple of plugs here, shamelessly, if I could. Uh, we Get had, uh, we have a lot. Our group just finished uh, doing uh, several shows, uh, you know, Fred Hall shows. We had two new trustees approved in January: Chase Offield of the Offield Foundation conservation people, of course, and uh, also uh, Robert Kurz. There's most uh, notable for his great marlin race satellite tagging program. 
Um, and we have a few great events still coming up. We've got a, uh, uh, the, what we're calling the Shelter Island English Tournament on August 12, 2017. It's an absolutely free thing. We've been putting it on, I think, this is our 12th year. So kids are welcome to come down there. We have uh, uh, all the food they can eat and uh, tackles free, baits free. They just come down and learn, and we're teaching them all about California fish and game laws as well as uh, just how to fish. It's kind of a good starter spot, but some kids have pulled in some nice fish. We've also got a uh, uh, kind enough to name it after me, a Mike Ferrier Junior Anglers Tournament at the Marlin Club in San Diego. Uh, we take the kids out on the premier out of H&M Landing, one of your sponsors here on the 19th. And it comes back into the Marlin Club, and we have a, a wonderful awards banquet and dinner. Uh, and I'd love uh, if there are any of the kids that are interested in going on that, uh, you know, to contact your station. Perhaps we can work that out or have me on soon, and I'll have another one. Uh, the other thing I'd like to tell you is we have a junior art contest uh, in 2018, and uh, it's also uh, been given my name. Fortunately, I, I'm a, also an artist. And it is uh, uh, a wonderful program for kids to get a, a chance to uh, submit their artwork to uh, people of great note like Guy Harvey, and I've got many other people helping me on it. And then the other one is, the last, uh, I'd really like to see anybody that has any interest in the IGFA, and, and uh, hopefully there's a lot of them, uh, come to our beautiful uh, uh, new and first-year uh, fundraiser and get together for IGFA members and potential members, anyone who wants to come in. And that's going to be on uh, November 9th uh, up in Newport Beach at the uh, uh, Marina Park. Okay. And it's a great facility, lots of parking. And uh, so hopefully we'll get a lot of people there. And maybe the next time I can come on again, I'll give you some numbers to call. We're still quite a ways away from this, of course. Okay, but. Mike, I know you are very accessible, too, especially when talking about fishing tackle and the history. And If people want to add to this or they need to contact you, how's the best way of going about doing it? Well, they can contact me at uh, mferrier at aol.com. All right, or you're also available on Facebook, uh, uh, no, actually, I, I, don't, uh, I don't, don't belong to any of them, and I, I know everybody tells me I should, but the truth is I'm a, I have a private secretary, and then I, I have secretaries at work, but I still run a, a fairly large business. Oh. Uh, All right, Mike, we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to jump off the line because that's it for tonight. We will have you on again. Stan, I can't believe it. Was this the fastest hour in Rod Reel Radio was, history or that what? That was a quickie. That <laughs> right. was a quickie. I don't like it here, too, but I talk forever on this stuff, and I, I love it that you guys are interested, and uh, hope we do it again soon. Okay, Mike, th- thanks a lot for being okay. with us. And ladies and gentlemen, that's it for tonight. If you missed any of Rod and Real Radio, just go to rodandreelradio.com and hit the archive page, or you can download us on your favorite uh, podcast or at the code, uh, code group. So on behalf of Stan and Wendy, Stan, good job tonight. Appreciate it. Hey, we are out for now. I want to thank Jorge and the AM540 Studios, Ben, our local producer, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McEwen, and I know they would have eaten up this show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it, too. So until next Sunday night at 5.05 p.m., check with us on Rod and Reel Radio. Go out there and get them. The fishing is about ready to break loose. They're getting away. Go out and get yours. Good night, everyone. We're out for now. You gone fishing. How are you?